Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. At Scotts Hill, our mission is to join God in His work of transforming lives. One of the ways we join God is by studying and proclaiming His Word. So each week, our podcast features our Sunday morning sermons where one of our pastors explains, illustrates, and applies the Bible to our lives. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome back to Scotts Hill uh, this new year, 2024. This is our first gathering in 2024 as a faith family. I want to say it's great to have you. Those of you in the Crosspoint Center, those of you also who are watching us online, thank you for joining us during this time. For those of you who are first-time guests, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here, and it's been a joy to be here, and it's also a pleasure to have you here with us this year as we start this new year. Last week, we closed closed out 2023 with a great time of celebration, and we close it out with a great time of observing the Lord's Supper together. And what I did last week was challenge everyone, all covenant members, all regular attenders, even even all guests, those who are watching online, that this year would be a year that we would read through the Bible together. I have done that for the last four years, and we want to encourage all of the members of this church to do that. Tucker mentioned a little bit about it, where you can go to the Version Bible app. That's one word, version. Find that, download that, go to the bottom, hit plans, type in the search bar, the one-year Bible. Join us in that, and every day you get a reading from the Old Testament, New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb. And so that is helpful to us, and in one year, we together as a body of Christ can read through that together. So I want to encourage you to do that, to take time to do that. Now also, we are getting unpacked in here regularly at 915. I want you to know that we have another service with all live elements, with the exception of the preaching. I'm videoed in over there. That's in the Crosspoint Center at 915. They actually start at 920. So if you would like to go over there and give us some space here, that would help us. They also have refreshments and snacks there, which we do not have here. So maybe you can go and say, I want to be a part of that. So I want to invite you to consider doing some of that. Well, we are back into our study on Romans. We started this study last September, and we have been working our way to Romans, and now we find ourselves all the way to chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, open to chapter 8 of Romans, beginning in verse 1. Now, while you're turning there, I want to give you a quick review of everything we covered since September. And you're like, well, that's going to take a while. No, it won't. Because in chapter one, Paul introduces himself and he tells us that he is obligated to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. But Paul doesn't tell us what the gospel is in chapter one. Instead, he tells us why we need the gospel and we need the gospel because we're under the judgment of God. And then he says, all those who are under the judgment of God. He says, those who um, are, are living immoral lives are under the judgment of God. Those who are morally superior in their own mind are under the judgment of God. Those who are religious are under the judgment of God. And those who are just sinful humanity are under the judgment of God. So he says, we need the gospel. And then chapter 3, verse 21, he tells us what the gospel is. And he tells us what the gospel does. And he tells us that the gospel justifies us before God, makes us righteous in Christ. And then he does that in chapter 3, um, verse 21. 
And then what he begins to do from there, he explains all of that to us. And then in chapter four, he gives us an Old Testament picture of justification by faith in Abraham. And then in chapter five, he tells us why all the benefits of being justified by faith. And in chapter five, verses 12, all the way to seven, he starts talking about the grace of God, that God's grace is greater than Adam's sin. It's greater than our stubborn sin. It's greater than our occasional sin. And it's greater than the law of sin and death. And he finishes chapter seven with all that. And now he comes to what is considered the pinnacle of Romans. He comes to chapter eight. And chapter eight is one of the most beloved sections in all of the Bible. Because in chapter eight, we see victory. In chapter eight, we are so encouraged. In chapter eight, it is a breath of fresh air as we read through this. Chapter eight is an incredible book, um, chapter, because it's almost like the crescendo of everything that Paul has been talking about. When you get to chapter 8, you will understand a number of things. First of all, 19 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter 8. Secondly, we see that there are no commands and no imperatives to follow in chapter 8. Only a list of glorious blessings that are ours. And then chapter 8 begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And when we look at chapter 8, it is a beautiful picture of what children of God have in Christ Jesus. And the whole picture is the picture of what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Moving from having been justified to reconciled, and now there's a picture of sanctification of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in every one of us. And I will tell you this, that if you can, as a Christian understand what chapter eight is all about, you will be radically changed. You will never be the same because of what Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter eight. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verses one through 17 today. And as we look at verses one through 17, that's a lot, but we're going to get through those. And the apostle Paul teaches us two things in verses one through 17. He tells us the believer's life in the spirit, verses one through 13. And then he tells us the believer's legacy in the spirit, verses 14 through 17. So those are the two things that we're gonna look at today. And as we look at these things, I have a challenge because I feel inadequate to be able to rightly communicate to you the glorious truths that you're about to hear. It's kind of like when you go on vacation and you see this beautiful mountain range and pristine lakes, and you take your phone out and you get a picture and you put it on Instagram for everyone to see, and that picture doesn't quite capture what you see. And so I feel inadequate that as I try to communicate the glorious truths of Romans 8, that I might fall short just in my human efforts. So will you join me as we pray together and ask the Spirit of God to communicate this through us? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for the comfort of your word. And as we come to Romans chapter 8, Father, help us to see truths that will set us free. As believers that we will come to know certain things and understand something today that will set us free in a radical way in our walk for Jesus. And for those who are not believers, 
Father, would they see the glorious picture of what can be theirs in Christ Jesus? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans chapter eight. We begin with the first one, the believer's life in the spirit. And in this, these 13 verses, Paul is going to give us four privileges that we have as we live life in the spirit. Now you have to understand, the Old Testament prophets looked forward to this day. They had always prophesied that there will be a day where God will put his spirit in people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was invasive. He would invade people's lives and then he would leave. But in the New Testament, he's pervasive. He comes in, he lives in the lives of believers, and he stays there. Jesus came, he died, and he said, unless I go away, the comforter will not come. But when he comes, he will teach you all truth. And this is a picture of what life is like in the spirit. So Paul says there are four specific truths that believers have as we live in the spirit of God. Number one, we have a new freedom. We have a new freedom that we have never known before. Verse one says it all. And verse one is the key for the entire chapter. Here's what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful truth? For those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now he says, there is therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to wonder what the therefore is there for. And the therefore is there because he said, all these other things of the struggle of sin and, and, and death and the struggle of a sinful nature, when you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. When is it? Now there is no condemnation. When you're justified, counted right in Jesus Christ, it's like a coin of salvation. On one side, there's justification by faith. On the other side, there is no condemnation. So if you have been justified and set free, you cannot be condemned. You are free. Now, when we talk about the Christian life, there are two aspects that are always true. And this is what we have to understand. That when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then what you understand that it is Christ is in you. But not only is Christ in you, you are in Christ. Here's the key. No condemnation is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, those who have trusted Christ, who have surrendered their lives to Christ, there's now no condemnation. He is in you and you are in him. Let me help you understand this by a word picture that, or a, a illustration that I have. Let's say this small cup represents a believer and what's, the water represents Christ. When a person comes to faith in Christ, Christ comes into them. This is Christ in you. He lives in you, but that's not all there is. Let's say this bowl represents Christ. Not only is he in you, but you are in him. And you are completely submerged, surrounded, inundated with Christ. And when God looks at you, this is what he sees. He sees Christ in you and you in Christ. And because of that, there is no condemnation for a person who is in Christ. Because in Christ, you are safe. 
There can be no judgment. God will never condemn his own son. And if we're in Christ and Christ is in us, there is therefore now or ever no condemnation for the person who is in Christ. It's like you're playing tag and you're safe. A couple of weeks ago when I was in Atlanta, I was playing tag with my, my grandchildren and there was freeze tag. And we established that there was a base and there was, we were in this park and this one piece of equipment was going to be the home base. And when you're on home base, you are safe. Hudson understood it fully. He would run around. He'd say, get me pops. And he'd run over there to the base. He'd say, I'm on home base. I'm safe. You can't get me. Hadley didn't quite get it. She'd run around. I'd touch her. I'd freeze her. And she'd freeze for a minute. And she'd say, I unfreeze myself. And she'd run off. <laughs> she didn't quite get it. And believers don't quite get it. Because in Christ Jesus, there's therefore no condemnation. And too many believers are running around trying to unfreeze themselves from failures of the past. And God says, you're justified. You're in my son. He is in you. All I see is him. How does he accomplish it? Look at verses two and three. He says, for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Let me just say this very quickly, that there's a spirit of life and there's a law of sin and death. Before Christ, we were under the law of sin and death. In Christ Jesus, in the spirit, we have life. And how did God do it? Not through the law. The law can never save you. The law is good. The law is not bad. It's not the law's fault. It's our fault. And the law only exposes uh, the imperfections in our own lives. But what does God do? He sends Jesus Christ. Go back. He sends Jesus Christ in the flesh. But though uh, he was not sinful, he died for us on the cross. And on the cross, he condemned once and for all sin that was in you. And so when the Father looks at you, here's what he sees. Because Jesus already condemned it. And you are not condemned. You are set free. And what does that accomplish in us? Verse four says this, in order that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All the righteousness of the law that you could never do on your own is now fulfilled because you are in Christ and Christ perfectly lived every requirement. Notice how he says it right here. He said it's fulfilled in us, not fulfilled by us, not fulfilled through us, but fulfilled in us through Christ Jesus. Here's the freedom that you have. Listen to me, believer. Some of you are beating yourself up for sins that have occurred 25 years ago. Some of you allow the enemy to bring to your mind thoughts of failures in your life and trying to hold you condemned before God. We love to sing the song, Jesus paid it all. But most of the time, we really act like Jesus only paid some of it or Jesus paid for most of it, but he paid it all. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there is now or never any condemnation from God on you. You are free. 
And when the enemy comes and he accuses you, you just remind him, nope, I've been justified. There's no condemnation. I am in Christ and he is in me and I am free. And he will leave you alone. That's just the first thing we see. That in the spirit of God, you have freedom. But secondly, in the spirit of God, we have a new mindset. We have a new mindset. Now, let me just say something about this mindset. Paul is not saying we have a new mindset that leads us to being in Christ. No, it's not a mindset that leads us into Christ. In Christ gives us a new mindset. And before you think, now, wait a minute, Phil, what you're saying is now that I'm in Christ, I can just go and sin and do whatever I want and there's no condemnation. Oh, no, no, no. Because if you are in Christ, your mindset is different. You're not going to want to do those things. And Paul puts it this way in verse five. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. He's saying there are two kinds of people. He's not comparing two Christians. There's a worldly Christian and a godly Christian. No, he's comparing two kinds of people. There are lost people and there are saved people. There are Christians and there are non-believers. Non-believers live by their flesh. And the flesh just simply means material things, the things of the world. And what do they do? They just live for the things of the world. Now, most of the time when we say you're living by the flesh, we think of evil things, but not necessarily so. They could be good things. They could be like, hey, you know, I want a good family. I want a good career. I want a good neighborhood. I want to live a good life. But if they're all driven by the flesh and none of it has any intention for glorifying God, then it's empty. And then what those who live by the Spirit, it's a totally different mindset. It's a totally different um, um, desire. Your attitudes change. Your, your affections change. Um, your bent changes. You no longer want to do the things you used to do because there's a new nature in you. And because you are in Christ Jesus, you have a new way of thinking. There are two kinds of people, but there are also two spiritual outcomes. Here's what he says in verse, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Those who live by a mindset have eternal consequences. Those who live by the things of the world will lead into death and condemnation. Those who live by the spirit of God will lead into life and there'll be peace. But then there are two kind of attitudes as well. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Why? There, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There are two mindsets. Those who are living by the world are actually enemies of God. Now, they might not see themselves as enemies of God, but they really don't want to do the things of God. They're a nice person, but don't hold me accountable to God's word. Oh, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person, but don't expect me to worship God. Don't expect me to serve him. There is enmity in the heart of every lost individual. But in Christ, in the spirit of God, there's a submission and there's peace. And what we see is that there are two mindsets. Now, I want you to think back on your own life. Before you were a believer, what drove you? I remember my life. As a young man, all I cared about was partying. 
All I cared about was having fun. All I cared about was the next drink, the next joint, the next opportunity to just have a good time. I never thought about the things of God. Did I think I was a good person? Absolutely. I never hurt anybody. I never ran over cats. I never, I never, I never did anything like that, okay? I don't know why that was funny. But I never did any of those things, okay? But when I came to faith in Christ, everything changed. My mindset changed. I no longer wanted to live like the world. I wanted to please Christ. I no longer wanted to live for myself. I wanted to please Christ. And the mark of a person who is in Christ is a changed mind. If your mind constantly is thinking about the things of the world and is not thinking about things that are eternal, you might need to ask yourself the question, are you in Christ? Because in Christ comes with a different mindset. And that is a wonderful thing because we think differently. And we're always looking to eternity in what we do. So there's a new freedom that we have in the spirit. There's a new mindset, a new way of thinking. But thirdly, there's a new indwelling presence. This is amazing. There's a new indwelling presence. And here's how he puts it. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's talking to the people he's writing to. He says, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. And then he says this, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He gives a word of encouragement and a warning. He says, you are in the spirit. So you're not living by the flesh. If, in fact, the Spirit lives in you. Why does he say that? Because within every Christian crowd, there are people who claim to be in the Spirit who are not. There are people who claim to be in Christ and who are not. And the mark of it is, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? If a person claims to be a Christian and yet they're not driven by the things of the Spirit, and they don't show any marks that the Spirit of God lives in them, they have no reason to believe otherwise. I'm just just amazed at the number of people who will say that they're, they're Christians, and yet their lives do not reflect any of this changed thinking. And it doesn't reflect the Spirit living in them. Now, let me just say this. When you come to faith in Christ, the moment you do, you are baptized into the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into him and he fills you. And then, and according to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, the Holy Spirit is a seal on you and a guarantee of your eternal salvation in Christ. It's like God puts the down payment for your salvation by giving you the Holy Spirit. And every child of God has the Holy Spirit. And if a person does not have the Spirit of God, then they do not belong to Christ. I'm I'm, I'm thinking thinking of a person who's active in serving in a church, maybe serving in some capacity, let's say on the platform, leading in worship or something. And everybody thinks so highly of this individual. And they have modeled a Christian life for so many years, but there's some underlying things that have been struggling in this person's life. And then he leaves his wife for another woman. He's confronted about it, but he says, listen, I'm happy. I actually married the wrong woman. 
and now I'm happy. And then somebody confronts him, well, how do you reconcile that with your relationship with God? There's nothing wrong between me and God. There's nothing wrong at all with me and God. I'm at peace with God. God will bless this relationship because after all, I just want to be happy and this makes me happy. That person has given every indication that the Spirit of God doesn't live in them. Why? Because they're pursuing the things of the flesh and not the things of the Spirit. And the big question that comes to us is this. Is the Holy Spirit living within you? If he is, if he is, then you will give evidence of that in how you live your life in obedience to him. In Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, he says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is a wonderful picture. Can you believe that, 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 that the Holy Spirit who lives in you is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead? And the picture is this, not only does the Holy Spirit come live in us and he seals us until the day of redemption, he is the guarantee of our salvation in Christ, but he is also the one who will give us one day a new body. We're, when these old bodies die and they're put into the ground, we one day will be giving a new body. And that new body will match perfectly with the redeemed soul that we have. And right now, they don't really seem to work well together. I love the way um, uh, John Stott wrote about this. He says, already we express our personality through our body, especially by speech, but also by posture and gesture, by a look in our eyes, by an expression on our face. We call it body language. But the language which our present body speaks is imperfect. We easily miscommunicate. Our new body will not have this limitation, however. There will be a perfect correspondence between message and medium, between what we want to communicate and how we do so. The resurrection body will be the perfect vehicle of our redeemed personality. One day, it'll be perfect. We'll have a new body, probably all the age of 33. For those of you who are under 33, that's a bummer. For those of you who are over, praise God. <laughs> and I don't know, but it'll be perfect and it will match the redeemed soul. You see, we have a new freedom. We have a new mindset. We have a new indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit who never leaves us. And fourthly, we have a new obligation a new obligation, verses 12 and 13. Here's what he says. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, Paul is not writing saying that Christians can lose their salvation. He's not saying that. Again, he's talking about two different people, believers and non-believers. And he's saying, for the believers, we are no longer obligated to the sinful nature. We're no longer obligated to the fallen flesh. When we were apart from Christ, we were slaves to sin. In Christ is freedom. And for the first time, we have the freedom not to sin or the freedom to walk in righteousness. 
And so we have this new obligation and we are not obligated to what our flesh says. We owe it nothing. In other words, we have the power to turn away from it. When Christ died on the cross, what happened is in our relationship in Christ, the, the, the penalty of sin is removed. The power of sin is removed. Now, the presence of sin is still here. That's why we are tempted. And that's why we do, in fact, sin. That's why Christians do, in fact, grieve the Spirit. That's why the Christians do, in fact, quench the Holy Spirit. But even in all of those, there's forgiveness and there's no condemnation because while we do sin occasionally, that is not our bent because we are in Christ and he is in us. And we're free. So we're obligated now to keep in step with the Spirit of God. So there's the believer's life, new freedom, new mindset. There's a new indwelling presence and there's a new obligation. Now let's look at the second part of what he says, the believer's legacy. What is the legacy of every believer? Not only the life that we have in the spirit, but what's the legacy in the spirit? He tells us three things in verses 14 through 17. We have a new identity. I love this. We have a new identity. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're living in a world right now where people are so confused about their identities, aren't they? Everybody's looking for an identity. Everybody's trying to trans into something. You know the word transition used to be a good word, but we can't even use it anymore. But the thing is, our identity in Jesus Christ is that we are sons and daughters of God. That's what we are. In every one of these verses, verse 14, he says we're sons. In verse 15, he says we're adopted as sons. In verse 16, he says we're sons of God. In verse 17, we are children. And so in every one of these verses, he's talking about the, the identity that we have, that you are in Christ, which means you are a son, a daughter of God. And if we are sons and daughters of God, then we are brothers and sisters of each other. And somebody said, listen, if we're all that, why does the church fight so much? Because we are siblings. <laughs> but we are sons and daughters of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are hidden away in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. There's freedom because you're a, a child of the king. All right, here's the second thing we see we have a new intimacy. Not only do we have a new identity, we have a new intimacy, verses 15 and 16. He says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, no, no. We have a new intimacy. Instead of slavery and fear, we have acceptance and security. He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's the wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit bears witness with the child of God that you are his. Isn't that wonderful? The enemy is always telling us we're not, but the Spirit of God is always reminding us that we are his. Now, sometimes we can be confused because of sin in our life. But if I'm convicted of that sin, then the Holy Spirit is the one who's leading me into that conviction and proving to me that I belong to Christ. And here's the greatest thing is the Abba Father. We cry Abba Father. You know what the word Abba means? Daddy. 
When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six, he says, pray in these words, our father, here's what he said, daddy, God. That blew the minds of the people who were listening to him. And, and I would say it might be a little bit uncomfortable if you had a brother or sister in Christ and you say, let's pray. And they begin and start saying, dear daddy, you might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. But that's the intimacy that is there. You know, one thing about when my kids growing up called me daddy, there was nothing more intimate than that. And now my grandkids, when they see me, they don't call me daddy, they call me pops. And oh, I love to hear that. And um, other silly names that they call me. But when you come to faith in Christ, not only is there a new identity, there's a new intimacy. Let me say this. The Christian's, the Christian's response to God should always be Father. Father. I hear a lot of people today and a lot of younger people who when they just pray, they just say God. Okay? Well, that's an innocuous term in our culture today. And that word God is the same word that the, the, um, with what other religions would use. Only in Christianity is Father. Do you realize that Jesus only referred to God as his father in his whole ministry and only one time he called him, my God, my God, and that's when he was on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? Every other time is father. And our response to him should always be father, father. Because he is our intimate father. Lastly, we have a new inheritance. Notice what he says in verse 17, the inheritance that we have. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs. And that makes sense that if we're children, then we inherit what he has. And one day we inherit the kingdom of God and we're joint heirs with our brother, Jesus Christ, who is also our savior and our Lord. And there's an inheritance that one day we'll receive already but not yet. So here's the big question. How do you know? How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me? Let me give you four, four points in closing. Has the Spirit, Holy Spirit, led me to a relationship with Jesus? Are you in a relationship with Christ? Have you come to understand who Jesus is and your need for him? If he has led you in a relationship with Jesus, secondly, is the Holy Spirit leading me to honor and obey Jesus? Is there a constant desire from the Holy Spirit in my heart that I walk in obedience to Jesus? Thirdly, is the Holy Spirit transforming my life to be like Jesus? Is he at work in me, moving me from glory to glory into the image of Christ? And fourthly, is the Holy Spirit active in convicting me of sin, comforting me in times of discouragement, convincing me that I am a child of God, and cultivating my heart to love God more. Believer, if you are in Christ, this is you. Christ in you, you in him. There's no condemnation. There's only freedom. And your father loves you more than you can ever imagine. Run to him. Lean into him. Walk in the freedom. Walk in the new mindset. Walk in the indwelling power. Walk in the obligation to keep in step with him because your identity is a child of God 
Your intimacy is with the Father, and your inheritance is in eternity. There's no condemnation. You are free. If you're not a child of God, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, my friend, you are under the condemnation of God. You're not in this picture. You will one day stand alone in your own merits, in your own failures, in your own works, and there will be no Savior for you. You will give an account before Almighty God for everything you've done. But I am convinced that you're here today because the Holy Spirit wants you to hear that it doesn't have to be like that. That Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose on the third day. He is alive today. And what he is offering to you today is eternal life. Eternal life. But you're going to have to yield to him. You will have to surrender your life to him. You will need to send up the white flag of surrender and say, Jesus, you're my king. I submit to you, and right now, I surrender my life to you. If you want to live the rest of your life with no condemnation, Jesus is your only answer. If you want to live the rest of your life moving towards an eternity with God, Jesus is your only answer. And today, he is here for you. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. Well, no, you're going to remain seated. We're going to come out and we're going to have a song of reflection. Just a song of reflection. And we want you to think about these words here and in the Cross Point Center. And if the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart, maybe, maybe you're just overflowing with joy because of what Christ has done and you want to come forward and you just want to praise God and thank him. This is open for you to do so. Maybe this morning you see, wow, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I'll be down here. Tucker will be down here. And if you're serious about that, just get up and come and talk to us and say, I want to give my life to Christ today because he's the only one that can deliver me from my sin and my future. In the Cross Point Center, Jim is the only one there, so you run to Jim. Run to the Father first, then run to Jim. (laughs) But let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what we have in Christ. Thank you for the legacy that we have. And I pray, Father, that as we have heard this, not only have you challenged our hearts, but you've comforted our hearts that we know, that we know, that we know. And now, Father, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is our hope for you today. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.